My Car Guru, episode 235. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. This is the New Year's resolution show. Um, I guess it's truth or consequences. Did I set New Year's resolutions this year? Which I normally do. Well, I pretty much gave it away. I didn't. I did not set any New Year's resolutions because I'm doing everything right. No, that's not true either. Uh, I am uh, working on a few different things in my life and trying to uh, correct some a few bad habits that I have developed. One is looking at my cell phone too much. You know, I talk about this a lot on the radio show, how the worst time to look at your cell phone is while you're driving a car. I hope you're not doing it right now. But uh, most people do. They violate the cardinal rule of not using your cell phone unless you are, well, it's against the law in the state of Tennessee. I don't know where it is or whether it's against the law where you live or not. But it is against the law to uh, use a handheld cell phone in your car while you're driving. For a while, it was illegal to do it just through school zones. But uh, then it became state law. And for a while, they were also enforcing it. Obviously, they don't anymore. And I I do use my cell phone in the car, but I try to use Siri all the time. That is the voice assistant on my Apple devices. My car has Apple CarPlay, and that is basically Apple's... Apple kind of takes over your infotainment screen, if you don't know what that is. Uh, If you have an Android phone, uh, Google also offers to take over your your screen, so you can play podcasts and get your, your voicemails and send voicemails and stuff like that. So I use Siri a lot. I ask her questions when I'm going down the road today, or yesterday, I'm sorry, I took my grandson back to meet his other grandparents, and um, we I used it to call several people, and I could, do, I could do it right now, but I'm not going to because I've got two Apple computers in front of me and my cell phone, and she will respond, so I'm not going to use her name. But I say, blankety blank, call such and such, and it calls them, and I don't have to take my hands off the wheel, and I don't really have to take my eyes off the road, and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's such and such. And that's a great way to uh, stay focused on driving. Still, is part of my attention off of driving? Absolutely. How many things can you do at once? I can do three and a half, or at least I can pretend like I can do three and a half. I really can't do more than one thing at a time well. So uh, when you are driving and you have... Uh, a conversation going. I mean, you pictures form in my mind when I'm talking to somebody on the phone, uh, just like it does when I'm just driving down the road and daydreaming. And so, uh, you know, natural instincts do kick in. And I think the subconscious mind takes over the driving uh, for us sometimes. Remember when you were young and you were driving down the road and you wanted to change the radio station or you wanted to put in another eight track tape and you're you know you look down and you start adjusting or you reach for the the box with your you know eight or ten eight tracks they took up a lot of room you shove and all of a sudden you realize you haven't looked in the road in the last five minutes um i used to do that a lot and i think um i don't know what kept me between the the ditches but something did uh, we have to work harder on staying focused. And I think one of the things we can do is teach our children uh, not to use their phones. You know how we do that, folks? That's right. We don't do it in front of them. 
we, t- we actually demonstrate what it looks like to be responsible with a cell phone, like by putting it in the trunk or putting it in the glove box and not using it while we're driving unless we're hands-free. Your family does not have to know where you are every single second. They think they do, but they really don't. We got by with that for, you know, hundreds of years. Well, maybe 50 years since we had, um, well, how long have we had the telephone? Alexander Graham Bell. Well, since him, we did not have to, uh, everybody didn't need to know where we were. And it was, life was easier. I didn't wake up in the morning. Where's my phone? Honey, have you seen my phone? What do you need your phone for? You know, she doesn't like it when I use my phone. And I do. I I mean, I get up in the morning, I grab it, I look at the news. That's my newspaper. But it is is a great way to to get in the way of good human interaction. And that's all she wants. And and really, that's what all I want, too, is human interaction. So let's work harder at that. How's that for a New Year's resolution? I think it's great. I'm going to do it. My resolution is when I get up in the morning, I'm not going to look at my phone. And then I'm not going to look at it until I get into my, well, I can't look at it in my car. So when I get to the dealership, I'm going to look at it and look at my emails. You know, they'll wait. They will wait. So uh, I don't know what you do. I've done exercise uh, resolutions. I've done uh, weight loss resolutions. You know, one of the best things I ever did was, uh, well, my mom did it for me. She gave me a book called First Things First. It was written by Stephen Covey. It's one of the uh, one of the seven habits of highly effective people. There's seven of them. And one of them, which I think is the most important one, is putting first things first. And one of the most important aspects of that is first deciding what are the first things in your life? What are the most important things? It, of course, your job is important. I mean, I get it. You got to make income. You got to be there. You get fired. But what else should take precedent over your job? Should your wife? Should your kids? Um, should your parents? Uh, we all have responsibilities. I know I do. I have too many right now. For a guy that's been working for 45 years, I ought to be retired by now. Most people retired about 30 years. But I'm still going strong. Um, I probably as retired as I'm going to get. So, you know, you have to prioritize and and put first things first is is the most important thing is deciding what are those things that are the most important for me. It's my faith number one. That has gotten me through much of the adversity in my life, um, and my relationship with God is number one. Number two is my wife. And I, I always put my wife ahead of my kids in my, when I was using my first, uh, first things first planner because I was identifying what my roles were. You know, I'm a car dealer, and, you know, I'm a, but I'm also a husband and a father and a Christian, and uh, I'm a son. Well, I, I still am a son, but my parents have passed away. So I had, basically I would identify my roles, and I had to decide, okay, within those roles, what do I want to accomplish you know, as far as my wife is concerned. I always tried to take her on a date at least two times a month. We tried to, you know, go away and go on a date. So that was always on my plan. With my kids, when they were little, I wanted to, when I was working ridiculous hours, but when I got home, I tried to get home before they went to bed, and I always tried to read to them. 
and handle the baths and stuff like that. I tried to get some some of that interaction during the week. I was getting it on the weekend. And when I was able to start taking Saturdays off, I mean, I was involved in all their sports and stuff. That was a priority to me. And it's that, you know, right now that one of the biggest problems that we have with employees, especially young employees, is that life-work balance. You know, trying to find something that, um, some type of a schedule, some type of a work plan where we can do what we do traditionally in the car business, yet they can have a life. Because the car business is not traditionally not been great when it comes to uh, family life. Uh, I've seen more divorces uh, by salespeople, not so much people work in service, but in the sales department because they have to work so many hours, or they traditionally do. So you've got a guy that has to be at work at 8, and he might get off at 10 o'clock that night depending on when the customers stop rolling in. And then he works six days a week, and sometimes he has to work on Sunday. You know, there's still dealerships that are work open on, on Sunday. And, uh, you know, and they, they find a way to make it work or they can't keep people. If they don't find a, make it, a, a way to make it work and they've got a bunch of people on their staff, then they're going to have tremendous turnover, especially with uh, millennials and, and Generation Z. You've, those people, they don't look at work like we did. I don't know. We just accepted the fact that we had to put in all of these hours, and that family came second. You know, if the kids were sick, other arrangements had to be made. Um, you know, if the kids, if school is out, they got to go someplace else because the, the husband and the wife had to work. And I don't think that's the way God meant it to be. And I believe that uh, there's nothing better for kids, I think, than uh, being able to have the mother at home. But, you know, it's just not possible for a lot of people. It wasn't possible for me. You know, my wife and I uh, needed her, well, we needed her income in order to be able to have the house that we had. It wasn't, I paid, I mean, I paid a whopping thirty nine nine for it. I needed that extra income. So, you know, finding that balance, identifying what those roles are and setting those goals. Maybe your New Year's resolution in mind needs to, well, it's not maybe, it's definitely, needs to involve identifying what your roles are uh, and making goals based on those first and then worrying about the monetary and, and other things. Um, you know, those are, uh, those are the first things in my life. Are they the first things in your life? Are you giving them the attention that you need to? I certainly didn't for a lot of years, but I, I thank my mom for coming into my office. One day I was, well, you know, kind of on the verge of tears because I was just overwhelmed. And she said, I, got, I just went to a seminar I think would help you. I'm going to get you this book. And she gave me that book, and I devoured it. And I bought the Stephen Covey Planner, and I, I filled out the daily or the weekly compass, which pointed me in the direction of, of happiness because I was paying attention to the important roles in my life. And I think that's something that all of us should think about on the, in this new year. So I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I am back. My daughter uh, presented a problem to me yesterday. I bought a four-wheeler from a guy, and I think I mentioned this on the show a couple shows ago. We bought it. He's a, he owns a repair shop up in Limestone, Tennessee, near Davy Crockett's birthplace. And I walked into his place one time. He said, you want to buy a four-wheeler? And I said, well, that's kind of out of left field, but what do you got? And he had a 2019 uh, Suzuki 750-something or other with 15 miles on it. And I said, why did you buy it? And he said, I don't have a clue. 
You know, so many people do that. They buy stuff that, you know, and it's a pretty big purchase. I mean, that was about, I don't know, nine grand, something like that at the time. And uh, we do that. We don't think we go in and buy something with, and, and especially when it's like a car, we, we fall into the, the dealer's lot one day just driving around. They happen to be open on a Sunday. Well, look here, honey, there's salespeople here. Let's test drive one. Didn't have a clue they were going to buy a car, and they end up leaving in one, and their monthly payments are uh, $200 a month higher than they were paying. And they got slammed with uh, all kinds of extras, and then they get home, they're so excited, they wake up the next morning and they're looking at each other and they say, what did we do? That's no good position to be in. But that's what he did. I mean, he basically parked it. It wasn't that big of an investment for him, so I bought it. Well, I said, do you have the title to it? And he said, no, not here, but I've got it at the house. And I said, well, that's fine. I know the guy. So I went on and uh, sent him a check up. One of my guys dropped it off and then expected to pick up a title, didn't have it. And so I called him back. I said, what about that title? He said, okay, I've got it. So we went back up. Well, it wasn't a title. It was a certificate of origin. Some people call it a manufacturer's certificate of origin or an MSO. Can't remember what S stands for. But anyway, it had never been titled. So he bought it and parked it and never went to the courthouse to pay his sales tax. Why did he not pay sales tax, you say? Because he didn't buy it in Tennessee. So if you are a dealer like me, we are required to collect sales tax from you, uh, if, unless you live out of state. If you live out of state, let's say you live in Virginia, well, you're not going to register it in Tennessee and get Tennessee tax because you live in Virginia. You're going to go up there and, and register it and pay sales tax when you get there. So um, he didn't bother to do that. He bought it in North Carolina, brought it back to Tennessee. As I say, he parked it, and he had the certificate of origin. So now I bring it up, put it in my showroom, and we sell it within just a few days. And my daughter called me uh, yesterday and said, Dad, um, I can't transfer this title to this gentleman that bought this four-wheeler because he didn't pay, uh, the, the original buyer didn't pay sales tax on it. All we have is an MSO, and we are not a Suzuki motorcycle dealer. I said, Audrey, you've got a good point there. I didn't think about it. So guess who gets to pay the sales tax and register that vehicle? Me. Now, I could call that previous owner and say, hey, you owe me some sales tax money because you never registered it. And I may still do that. I don't know. You know, if a, I should know better. You know, when he handed me, when the, my salesperson that went up there and got the, the MSO and put it on my desk, I looked at it, and, and I just didn't think anything about it. See, even gurus make a mistake every now and then. But my title clerk daughter uh, doesn't make many mistakes. Matter of fact, uh, I don't think she's ever made one as a title clerk. She's made some people mad because they disagree with her, you know, as far as what the law is, but <laughs> they lost. She knows the law. And so she's just trying to keep me legal. So I have to register that vehicle in Gateway Ford's name, pay sales tax, and then turn around so that I can um, give it to this guy. Now, if you if you buy something out of state and bring it to Tennessee, um, you know, let's say you pay cash for something, then I guess you can choose whether whether to register it or not. Maybe you have a cash flow problem now, and you don't want to have to come up with the sales tax. That's I don't think he had a cash flow problem. I just think he, 
you know, just decided he didn't want it, didn't think it was a big deal to pass on the MSO. It is a big deal. And um, so if he had financed that vehicle, what would have happened? Well, what would happen is in order for the, uh, the lender, the people who loan him the money, to have their lien perfected, that means that their lien is recorded on that asset, in this case, a four-wheeler. See, if their lien is never recorded and they loan money to somebody, then uh, the other person could, could just take that vehicle and never pay the, you know, never make a payment. The debt was never secured. Now, banks normally will catch that if they finance something. They are looking for that title to be coming back to them. It doesn't go back. Like, like when you register a vehicle, you probably know this, but when you register a vehicle and you've borrowed money on it, you don't get the title. It goes to the bank that financed it for you. And then when you make your last payment, they send you the title. And so if you do that out of state, the way that happens, let's say that you go to, I don't know, you live in Texas and you want to go buy a, ve- and you buy a vehicle in Oklahoma, then um, and you finance it at that dealership in Oklahoma. Well, they're not going to give you the bill of sale and the uh, title to that car or the certificate of origin. They're going to send that to the Department of Motor Vehicles or TAG office, wherever you pay sales tax and get your tags, they're going to send it to that office near you and tell you where it is, of course. You'll probably tell them where it is, and then they'll they'll send it to them because they send it directly to them so that if they hand it to you, that lien may not get perfected, and they are responsible for making sure that it does. They sign an agreement with the bank saying, if somebody finances a car using your all's money, we will make sure that the lien is perfected. Um, so it, that is something that, that, you know, if you, again, if you go out of state, now, why would you want to go out of state and buy something? Uh, well, you obviously think that you're going to save money, right? You know, there are certain states that you can buy vehicles and not pay any sales tax, but you have to be a residence or resident of that particular state. A lot of rich people do something kind of interesting. I'll tell you about it here in just a second. Okay, I'm back. So what do the rich people do? Well, if they're rich car collectors, here's what they do. They set up a corporation in the state of Montana. Why? Because if you own a business in the state of Montana, then uh, basically, and all you need to have is a P.O. box there. You don't have to own land or anything like that. You have to set up a most people set up an LLC. It's a limited liability corporation, and they'll set it up in the state of Montana, and they will buy cars like Ferraris and Porsches and Lamborghinis and Rolls Royce, and they will register them in the state of Montana where they have no sales tax on cars. You know, there aren't many states that don't have any sales tax. Alaska is one on cars, that is. Delaware is another one. Isn't that where Joe Biden is from? Montana, as I said, New Hampshire, and let's say that's about it. When you look at uh, people who have, or states that have really low sales tax on cars, um, Alabama, 2%, Colorado, 2.9%, Hawaii, I'll be going there in the not-too-distant future, Hawaii, 4%. In Tennessee, it's 7.5%, yeah, 7.5% plus uh, two-tenths of the first $2,200. 
it's called the local option tax. It, it, it that basically stays with the local government, and then the money goes to the state, and the state sends some of it back. It's complicated, but we have you know. Good thing about Tennessee is we have no state income tax. That's a beautiful thing. Now they do on investment income, but not on uh, on W two income. So a lot, that's why a lot of people are moving here. Uh, they're moving here because it is a conservative state for the most part. Um, we don't have high property taxes. Uh, we don't have any income taxes. And just doggone it, the people are just nice, as we say around here. They're just nice. Now, not, not everybody's nice, but most of them are. And we don't mind strangers as long as they don't have too much of an accent. If you have too much, then we're going to say, you're northerner, aren't you? No, we don't discriminate about stuff like that. We love you. You know, and we better because they're coming. And I know in my small town, you ever heard of D.R. Horton? D.R. Horton is building about 7,000 homes in Upper East Tennessee. 7,000. Where are all those people coming from? They're pricing them from three hundred to 400000 what I've heard. And they started a subdivision down here in Greenville. They're building 350 homes in this one location. And those homes are about eight feet apart. They're jammed in there like sardines. I wouldn't want to live there. And it looks like, you know, of course my house has vinyl siding on it. I don't have a problem with that. But, man, there's a difference between good vinyl siding and cheap vinyl siding. And I hope I don't get sued for that. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If you have any questions, call me, 423-552-2020. I'll be glad to help you out with your car questions or your sales tax questions. We'll talk to you later.